person? Are you a list person? Do you, do you make lists for things? You have a, a grocery list, a, a shopping list, a, a list of your medications, maybe a homework list, a to-do list, or a bucket list. Maybe your bucket list looks a little bit like the one I saw this week. Bucket of chicken, bucket of shrimp, bucket of popcorn, bucket of donuts. Maybe, maybe that's how your bucket list rolls. I also saw a to-do list this week that was somewhat interesting. It was a list, it seems like, from Ethan's sister, thinking maybe his little sister. Don't know Ethan or his sister, but undoubtedly Ethan was going to be away from the house for a few days. And so his sister made a list of what she was going to do in Ethan's absence. Okay, here's her list. Take Ethan's bedroom. Take Ethan's money. Hammer Ethan's Legos. Hammer them. Rip his Minecraft poster. Dye his carpet pink. Hammer everything he loves. Bless her heart and bless Ethan's Legos. Wow, that's quite a list, right? In the spirit of philosopher J. Marshall Foxworthy, if you make a list and on that list you put hammer everything they love, you might be a redneck, you know? And and you might have some love issues as well. (laughs) How do you know if you have love issues? How do you know if you're not just walking around trying to hammer with a hammer everything that everybody loves, or are you actually being loving? How do you know? Well, there's a list. It's not a to-do list. It's a to-don't list. Yeah, a a to-don't list. And and why does the to-don't list matter? Why is it important? Dr. Haddon Robinson once said this about the church. Love is that thing which, if a church has it, it doesn't really need much else. And if it doesn't have it, whatever else it does have doesn't really matter very much. It's not just true for churches, right? If you have love, it really doesn't matter what else you have because you have the most important thing. But if you don't have love, whatever else you have, it doesn't matter that much. So... How do you know if you have love? How how do you know if you have some love issues? And and how do you know if love is there? Well, the to-don't list helps. It's it's a helper. So we're going to kind of walk through this to-don't list together. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes, Love is not jealous. Paul's writing to some folks in a place called Corinth in ancient Greece. And what were those folks in Corinth like? Well, they were impatient. They were unkind. They were arrogant. They were selfish. They were overly sensitive. And they were rude. In other words, nothing like us, right? Nothing like us. I mean, none of us have struggled with any of those things this week, right? I mean, we consider those things, and we look back this past week, you know, in our community, in our homes, in our government buildings, even in the church, we haven't seen anything like that around our place, have we? As the wise man of the Old Testament once said, there is nothing new under the sun. All of those things 
have been a part of our week in some way, shape, or form. But there's nothing new under the sun, nor is there a new cure. The same cure for all of those things is still the same. What the world has always needed and what the world needs now is love. Love. Not intimate love, not family love, not friend love. Paul's writing here about what's known as agape love. Agape love is a love of of self-denial. It means that you choose to give value to other people. And you keep loving people even when they reject your love. Now that does not sound easy. So is there any help for that? Well, yes, there is help. The to-don't list. It, it helps. And the to-don't list tells us that agape love is not jealous. It's not jealous. What does that mean? Well, it means that we aren't resentful. We aren't mad. We aren't angry when something good happens to somebody else. But that, that's what love is. It's not resentful or angry or mad or upset or snarky when something good happens to somebody else. Love is, is not snarky when somebody gets a good grade. Love is not snarky when somebody gets a promotion. Love is, is not snarky when somebody gets a, a new car or a new house or a new phone or a new video game or a new pair of shoes or a new see-through mask. Love is, is not resentful. It's not angry. It's not mad. It's not snarky when there's a better person, when there's a better parent, when there's a better worker, when there's a, a better athlete or a better musician, when there's a, a better business owner, when there's a better preacher. But here's the thing about agape love. Agape love, this love that reflects the pure and perfect love of God, agape love keeps loving. It's not resentful. It's not angry. It's not mad. It's not snarky, even if the other person is not better. If the other person is lazy or apathetic or inferior, and they still get the grade, and they still get the promotion, and they still get the car, and they still get the nice new see-through mask. Agape love doesn't lose its mind. Why? Well, the very nature of agape love is one where a believer keeps looking to the cross. And when they look to the cross, they remember, oh yeah, I have already in Christ Received the highest grade, the best promotion, the greatest transportation through even the temporary mask of death. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. By grace, I have been saved. See, that's what agape love does. It it keeps looking back to the pure and perfect love of God. It's not resentful. It's not angry. It's not mad. It's not snarky when good things happen to other people. Somebody once said that we should read 1 Corinthians 13 and and put Jesus' name into it. So let's just try it for a moment. 
Jesus is not jealous. So if we're going to claim to follow Jesus, then we need to strive to be like him. So, what's next on our to-don't list? Verse 4. Love does not brag. Love is is not parading itself all the time and, and bragging about all the different things that it's doing. I saw a real helpful story to kind of help our minds get wrapped around this. There was this turtle, and the turtle wanted to go to Florida for the winter, but he knew he couldn't walk that far. So he got a couple of geese to help him. And what the geese did was there was this long rope, and they each took an end of the rope, and then the turtle clamped his big vice-like mouth over the rope in the middle. And then they took off holding on their ends of the rope, and they started flying to Florida. They started flying this turtle to Florida. Somewhere along the way, the turtle heard someone down on the ground say, look at that. That's amazing. What a, what a cool idea. I wonder who came up with that. And the turtle said, I did. Yeah, it's okay. You'll get it after lunch. See, he was so set, couldn't wait to brag and beat on his shell a little bit about this great idea that he opened his mouth and that was the wrong thing to do. If you're bragging, you're not loving. Jesus does not brag. So if we're going to claim to follow Jesus, then we need to strive to be like him. What's next on our list? Verse 4, love is not arrogant. Love is not, not puffed up or, or sinfully proud. When I look at the people in my home church that had the greatest impact on my life as a boy and, and as a teenager, most of them were humble senior adults. They were people that, that never thought they were the most important people in the church or that they were pillars of the church or that they were founding mothers or founding fathers of the church. They were just people that loved God and loved the Bible and loved and served other people. They weren't arrogant. They were humble servants of the Lord. We are living in a time of great arrogance. There's nothing new under the sun there's always been great arrogance, but, but this is when we live now. And we live in this time of great arrogance when, when one physician or one politician or one preacher or one parent gets on social media and says they are right. And then another physician and another politician and another preacher and another parent, they get on social media and say they are right. And then everybody gravitates and moves toward whichever person matches up with their opinion and what they want to hear. The Bible has a picture of that. Paul, in, in writing to Timothy, he said, Be careful because people will have itching ears. And they'll want their ears scratched. They'll want their ears tickled with something so that they will be more comfortable in their sin. Love is not arrogant like that. We live in a, a time of arrogance where someone, one person will be criticized for kneeling. Another person will be criticized for standing. Another person will be criticized for sitting down. Another person will be criticized for, for lying down. So maybe we should just float 
and nobody will criticize us. But that's not true. Someone on the right or someone on the left is looking for a reason to criticize. So floating won't work either. This is the time we live in. A time where individual freedom has become the ultimate moral imperative. This is what Jesus has said. Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You cannot deny yourself and make individual human freedom your highest moral imperative. Or put another way, you can't follow Jesus and chase after your human moral freedom as your highest imperative. The, the math will never work. Now look, that doesn't mean freedom's bad. Freedom's great. Freedom's fantastic. The Bible is full of freedom, full of freedom in Christ. That's what it means to be free, to be free in Christ. But the call of Jesus is one of self-denial. If you think that your individual human freedom is the highest moral imperative, then I heard someone say this week, don't have kids, don't adopt a child, and stay away from your grandchildren. Because children and caring for children, by the very nature of what that means, is an act of self-denial, an act of sacrifice, whether it's feedings in the middle of the night or paying tuition in the middle of the summer. Sacrifice, self-denial, this is the path to freedom. Throughout the scripture and through the message of the cross, those that have been set free by Jesus are truly free. And if you haven't been set free by Jesus, you can fight for your rights all you want. You can fight for your political freedom. You can fight for your religious freedom. You can fight for whatever freedom you want, but you will never be free until you've been rescued by Jesus. And then you are free and no one, no king, no queen, no president, no law, no person can ever take away your freedom. That's what it means to be in Christ. Love is not arrogant. Love is not sinfully proud. Love is not obnoxiously demanding even in the area of freedom. Jesus is not arrogant. So if, if we're going to say and claim that we follow Jesus, then we'll need to strive to be like him. What's next on our to-don't list? Verse 5, love does not act unbecomingly. Love is, is not rude. Now, let me just stop here for a second, okay? In all of these things we're looking at, we're not talking about perfection, okay? Because none of us are perfect. We're all going to have our moments of jealousy and bragging and and arrogance and rudeness. It's, it's just going to happen. But, but they should just be moments. And they shouldn't be all the time. And when they happen, we should be quicker as believers to repent. We should be quicker to ask forgiveness. We should be quicker not to repeat those things. But, but love is not rude. Love 
has good manners. Love is courteous. For years, I have told people at the churches that we have served that that I'm really not in this huge need of being respected, but I I do like a little courtesy. I think courtesy is, is something that God's people should do. Whether you're on social media or sitting in a a business meeting at work or a business meeting at church, whether you're talking about opinions about a pandemic, no matter where we are and what we're doing, if there's anybody in the world who should not be rude, it's the people who have been rescued from hell. God's people should be courteous. God's people should be kind. being transferred from the kingdom of darkness out of there and into the kingdom of light, that should impact our manners. That should impact how we speak and talk and act and post and think. There's a story of a little boy who got a parrot for his birthday. And this parrot was rude, rude, mean, critical, foul mouth, and never stopped talking, just nonstop. Little boy tried everything he could to try to get the parrot to change. He he was nice to the parrot, talked kindly to the parrot, played peppy music for the parrot. And he went the other extreme. He he yelled at the parrot for being rude. He he would take his food away for a little bit to try to threaten him, but nothing worked, no matter what he did. The parrot was just constantly just so rude. And so finally one day the, the little boy was so frustrated, he just he grabbed the parrot for some reason, he stuck him in the freezer of all places. And he could still hear that parrot snarking from inside the freezer, on and on and on and on and on. And then after a few moments, there was, there was no sound. It was, it was real quiet. Nothing was happening. The boy got nervous. So he opened up the freezer, and, and the parrot just calmly walked out, walked on the boy's arm, and this is what the parrot said. I'm sorry that I might have offended you with my language and my actions and asked for your forgiveness. I will endeavor to correct my behavior. The boy was shocked. He, he, did, he didn't know what to think. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. And before he could do anything, the parrot continued and said, may I ask what the chicken did? As a wise sage once said, don't put off eating chocolate if you can do it today. Listen, don't put off being courteous if you can do it today. And, and you can do it today. You can. Jesus is not rude. So if we're going to claim to follow Jesus, then we need to strive to be like him. Next on our to-don't list, verse 5, love does not seek its own. Especially in times of pandemic especially in times of political uproar, especially in times of educational difficulties, love is not selfish. It's not selfish. See, a selfish person is determined to get their own way no matter the impact on the people around them. Imagine two players from your favorite team and they go up to the coach after practice and they say, Coach, we want to get off the bench. We want to be on the starting team. What do we have to do? What do we have to do, coach? And your coach 
pulls the whistle out of his mouth and, and he looks at those players and he says, so you want to be first? You want to be great? Well, if so, then you're going to have to be, you must be a humble servant to other people. I think that's what the players would be waiting to hear. Well, that's what Jesus said. And, and then Jesus went on to say this, Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The, the call of a believer's life is to serve, not to seek its own, not to be selfish, not to be self-centered, but to serve. That's the pattern that Jesus has set for us. I saw where Elizabeth Elliot was speaking once, and in the audience down on the front were some children, some young children. And, and she was teaching about what the Bible says about sacrifice and, and self-denial. And, and she tried to, to use some words and some word pictures that would help those kids on the front to understand as well. Well, sometime after that, she received a note in the mail, and it was from one of those little boys that had been sitting down front. He was six years old, and this is what his note said. I'm learning to lay down my life for my little sister. She has to take a nap in the afternoon. I don't have to take a nap, but she can't go to sleep unless I come and lay down beside her. Love knows when to take a nap. Love does not seek its own. Jesus is not selfish. So if we're going to claim to follow him, then we need to strive to be like him, to be like Jesus. What's next on our to-don't list? Verse 5, love is not provoked. Love is not easily offended. Love is not easily angered. Love is not touchy or sensitive or easily irritated. That's, that's not what love is. Again, none of us are perfect, okay? We, we realize that. But generally speaking, are, are we known as the people that seem to always have our finger on the trigger of snapping at others or freaking out about what's going on? Are, are we easily irritated? Sometimes we are dangerously tempted to say things like this. Well, I mean, look, that's just how I am. You know, once, once I get it out, it just takes me a minute. Once, once I get it out of my system, everything's fine. You know, somebody says that's also the philosophy of a bomb. And it leaves nothing but destruction. We need to be careful about defending our temper, defending being easily offended, touchy, sensitive, or anything in that genre. C.S. Lewis once said that, that we're quick to excuse our bad temper. We are. We'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm such in a bad mood today. I just I had anything to eat. I hadn't had my coffee. I, I didn't get a good night of sleep. Or I'm just so stressed out about what's happening with my kids or my spouse or my parents or my health that, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, I have a bad temper. But C.S. Lewis says, on the other hand, when it comes to our good temper, when we're in a good mood, oh, we'll own that. We'll say, oh, yeah, this, this is how I usually am. I'm, I'm usually a good, kind, gracious person. 
This is what Jesus said. Luke 6, 45, talking about what we do with our mouths, and really we could expand it to say what we do with our actions. Jesus said, his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. If we're easily offended, if we're easily irritated, if we're easily angered, if we're touchy and sensitive, those are things coming from our hearts, not our stomachs, not our stress, not our attitude, but our hearts. That's what's filling our hearts. That's what Jesus says. So we have to watch our heart. Jesus is not easily provoked. Jesus is not easily irritated, easily angered. So if we're going to claim to follow Jesus, then we need to strive to be like him. What's next on our list? Verse 5. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Let's just stop the sermon right here. I mean, we don't really need all this stuff, right? Let's just pick two out of the list and just do our best, right? Kind of doesn't work like that. We, we need to hang out here. Love, by its nature, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not hold a grudge. Agape love has a really, really bad memory. A, a bad memory. There's, there's two sides of this coin here. Love is quick to confess sin, or at least let's say quicker. Love, love confesses sin. Love seeks forgiveness. And the other side of the coin, love forgives. See, love is quicker to seek forgiveness, and love is, is quicker to forgive. That's what love does. But what happens if we're not like that? What happens if we're slow to forgive? Or what, what happens if we refuse to forgive? Well, if you have become an unforgiving person, or if you are being unforgiving now, Paul Tripp says there's some benefits to unforgiveness. Now, they're dark benefits, he calls them, but, but they're benefits. When, when you are holding something over someone's head, when you're holding a, a debt over their head, then there's some dark benefits, and he describes them like this. It's the debt of power. You, you're holding something over somebody. You, you just won't let it go. There's also the debt of identity. We, we become self-righteous. We become convinced that we really are better than that other person. E even apart from the grace of God, we're, we're better than that other person. There's also the debt of entitlement. We begin to act like that person has to constantly do stuff for us. But they need to give us gifts. They need to perform things for us. Then there's the debt of weaponry. We use our hurt to keep hurting them back, and usually we'll hurt other people too. And then the last debt he describes is the debt that puts us in God's position. We are convinced that we are good judges, that we're, we're good at judging others, that we, we really know what's right. Incidentally, you don't want any of that. Because that stuff will rot your soul. You want to be as far away from those things as you possibly can be. Because love 
does not hold that kind of debt over other people. That's not what love does. Now let me just say this. I, I think this might be the hardest one that we're looking at here. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. You know why? Because it hurts so bad. And it makes us so angry when we've been hurt by a person that is unrepentant or uncaring about how they've hurt us. And that hurts us more and and it makes us more angry. Unfortunately, if we're going to claim to follow Jesus, we don't have the option of saying, I don't care, I'm going to hold this debt over people's lives. We don't have that option. The gospel calls us to think different, to act different, to talk different. Why? This is what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, that doesn't mean you can earn forgiveness with God by forgiving other people. That's that's not the picture. Nor does it mean if it takes you a few weeks to forgive somebody, if you wait that long, you're going to hell. Okay, that's, that's not what it means. What it means is going back to to patterns. And if the pattern of your life is not to ask for forgiveness when you sin against others, if the pattern of your life is to not forgive other people when they seek forgiveness, then the pattern of your life is revealing that you are setting yourself against God. I know that sounds strong, but, but stay with me here. If, if those things are the pattern, you're unwilling to seek forgiveness and you're unwilling to forgive. If that's the normal pattern for years and years and years of your life, then what you're saying is this, that you are okay with ignoring the cross and you are okay with your shame. You are okay with mocking the sacrifice of Jesus. And you're okay with doing the opposite of what God has called you to do. Those things don't need to be okay with us. We don't need to be okay with that. And and if we're okay with that, and that's the pattern of our lives, then what we are doing with our lives are we are settling the answer to the question of whether we are truly saved or whether we just pray to prayer and join the church. Love calls us to forgive. Love calls us to not keep a record of wrong. I saw a story about a man with a happy soul. And the story goes like this. Every day, that man would listen to things that were good. He'd hear somebody say something kind or gracious or encouraging. He'd he'd write it down on a piece of paper. And he'd stick that piece of paper in one of his pockets. And then likewise, during the day when he heard somebody insult him or criticize him or or say something mean or awful or or gossip or slander or malice, those things, he would write those things down and he would stick them in his other pocket. And at the end of the day, he would get home and and he'd empty out his pockets and he'd pull out those good things, those little pieces of paper with with all those great things that he heard that day. And and he got to sit there and, and relive those and enjoy those common graces that happened in his life that day. But then he'd reach into his other pocket and there'd be nothing there. And here's why. The other pocket had a hole in it. 
And so all of those pieces of paper just just disappeared. All the negative bad things, they, they were gone. So the moral of this story is be a litter bug and leave pieces of bad news all over town today. No. The moral of the story is this. Watch the pockets of your heart and your mind. Watch those pockets. Jesus does not keep a record of your wrongs. In fact, Jesus died for them. Keep that in your pocket. Pull that out of your pocket. Let that be the headline of your life over and over and over again. Jesus loves. And if we claim to follow Jesus, then we need to strive to be like him.